0: Štan an indó askeige e
1: Táim imíchttaí e dhéhsachcht ar e si I I a of chacht a máchan seo gur féidir é chor iúigh ceart lena win féin. Skilti fis turmi Tá sé nach ara igornamion g gonamán an che sinna eá.
2: Bhí antám a ginn ná grh ááchttum fracht séthrin grn
0: Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author heman Sunim. Telling us what to do when things don't go your way.
2: When we are, you know, very young and have a first love, and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. So we begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end.
0: As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. I'll tell you
2: what. Oh, Morgan, extra man. It's Fitzgerald. Oh!
0: Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I am Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined as always by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Well, Will. How are things? I'm very good. Thanks and delighted to be joined again this week by Keane Tracy. Keane, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, lads. How are you?
0: We're very good. Obviously, last week we kind of left it on a note of positivity, an upbeat note for once. We were delighted. We were excited for rugby to be back and it really did live up to... I guess the excitement we have, Keen. I know you were one of the lucky ones who had the, the golden ticket in the end to be in the Aviva Stadium over the weekend. You know, what was it like from your perspective being back in and just experiencing it from, you know, a very unusual remove, I guess, compared to what you'd ordinarily do it.
1: Yeah, it was, first and foremost, it was great, like, to be back watching rugby. Um, it was surreal, I think, is the best way to describe it. I mean, as we mentioned last week, we weren't supposed to be at the games either, but it was kind of a decision late and Friday was made and, um, 20 of us were allowed go um so yeah like it was one of those it was another reminder of like how lucky you are I guess to be in this job um and getting to see the game you know without crowd was actually great and I've kind of watched it back in tv and it is very different with the crowd noise I have to say um even when the Premier League football was on and you had the option to turn it off I always went for turning the crowd noise off because I just think you get a better insight but in terms of like the day itself yeah like it was very strange. Like I mean, outside the Aviva Stadium, you would not have known there was a game on. There was a couple of security guards, um, one or two guardy, but like, there was just nothing, nothing to tell you that there was a huge game on. Um, we all had to have our temperatures taken before we went in, um, which was an interesting process because I don't know what you're like, but I absolutely hate going through airport security. Um, so it, it was very much felt like that because you didn't want to be the one to rock up and they they kind of told you in fairness the IRFU had said like you know don't cycle to the game or don't be rushing up because if you get it up there and your temperature's high you're not going to be allowed in so um, it was interesting thankfully, thankfully on both days my temperature was okay but they must have been using um, the IRFU system because once it gives you your temperature check, and um, it didn't recognise my face, so a big kind of um, red X came up on the screen. <laughs> kind I of thinking, I was kind of thinking, okay, I am going to be the unlucky one here. But yeah, I have to say, like, I mean, the protocols and everything to, to getting into the stadium, in around the stadium, were second to none. And like, it would give you hope that you know, in the not too distant future, hopefully, that we'll get fans back in there. You know, they had different stations, there was questionnaires to fill out. Um, it was all pretty pretty good, and to get back in to, to games was just amazing. And like I said, to see them without the fans was just, you got such a different insight. You had a bigger appreciation for how physical it was, how the hits were. You got to hear who the vocal leaders were. Um, and that's before you even talk about how great the rugby was itself. So it was a, it was a weekend that I'll probably never forget. And yeah, i was very lucky to be there. And Keane, do they still, do they, were they still able to put on that big spread of beef stroganoff that's been a feature of every uh, match I've attended at to City, even the press box? All I'll say is it was like being back at school. I've never seen so many grown men have um, sandwiches in tin in <laughs> lunchbox. It was, uh, it was an interesting aspect, but no, we can't, We couldn't complain on, on that front now, to be fair. Uh, we were lucky enough to be there.
0: Yeah, look, obviously that's from the media perspective, you know, from you watching the games... Did anything leap out to you in this kind of new way of going about uh, rugby's business with no fans? Was it very much a similar Leinster-Munster game from your perspective than you would have seen before? Or was there any noticeable difference that you looked at and said, that would will, that will be a little bit different to what I'd ordinarily see when these two teams go head-to-head? Um, do
2: you know, I think, and I just think it generally across sports, it's just kind of occurred to me is that... Um, you know, I think the kind of home advantage thing has has really gone for the most part. Um, I think the only team in rugby that I can think of who probably be very comfortable in this environment, and it's really not to have a shot at them, but it's just calling it as it is. But Edinburgh, I think, will be fairly lucky. They're used to playing in stadiums like that with no one there. Um, and I was watching. I think I was watching some of the NBA playoffs as well. And I was kind of thinking, it's like home advantage is really gone. Like that really, kind of, that pressure is. You know, you have to kind of generate it yourself. Uh, that's what really occurred to me watching both games. And I think uh, the teams that did that well performed well. I thought Munster performed very well, actually. I thought they were really good. Um, still, you know, uh, you know, they'd be disappointed with a few parts. I think particularly the James Lowe try, The defense out wide was terrible. Um, two guys doing two different things. Um, and Ulster, I think, had a few similar ones as well, where you're kind of saying, like, it was lovely Connacht play and was lovely Leinster play. It looked great. Would you'd be really disappointed to watch them. And I just kind of felt that um, they were the only signs of real rustiness I saw. And I think the teams that were able to kind of generate a bit of, um, were able to kind of take the crowd out of it and generate that atmosphere amongst themselves, played well, or connected well. Um, and it was interesting to hear Dan McFarland, kind of talking about the Ulster team because that's kind of how I felt a little bit about them as well. It looks like they the result the night before, I think, really didn't help them at all. They looked like they, they, hadn't, they weren't able to generate any kind of motivation or, not motivation, but, um, what's the kind of any drive or any kind of atmosphere amongst the group to really pull out a big performance? So uh, that's probably what struck me all, all, all out of the few out, out of the the games on the weekend is that uh, that point there around the atmosphere and maybe that for the particularly for the semi-finals coming to the semi-finals. I don't really think home like if that doesn't matter anymore. I don't think that home advantage is kind of gone really because there'll be no one in the stadium So, um that's probably what really occurred to me having watched the two games i was impressed that there wasn't as many uh, mistakes as i thought actually i will say that i thought um i thought there was going to be a load of mistakes and there was a few sloppy ones but for the most part i thought both te- like all the teams actually performed reasonably well skill wise yeah keen it's an interesting concept
0: in of generating your own atmosphere cuz i remember a couple of years ago i was doing a piece on playing in the rugby championship in england the second tier i'm like having to rock up to away games where there be you know could be you know a very small amount of people there and how that's what you need to do, really, to make sure your team is up for it. Otherwise, it can be a very... Oh, knocked out the earlier piece Yeah, sorry. Uh, otherwise, it can be a very kind of drab you know, atmosphere. We already had to get into the game. And you know, as you said there, you could really hear who was speaking up. And Interestingly, did anyone kind of jump out to you in that regard? Was there any players that really stood out as kind of the vocal leaders of the team who maybe surprised you a little bit?
1: Um. I don't know if it nece- I'd necessarily say surprise, but I mean, definitely the most vocal player at the two games weekend was Bundy Aki. Um, you can see the way he plays, that he's a real driver for kind of Connacht, well, certainly Connacht anyway, and, and when he plays for Ireland. But it's just the little things that you can hear him g'ing up that you just absolutely wouldn't hear if there was a full crowd there. Um, Craig Casey was was one of the loudest players on Saturday, and he wasn't even on the pitch for most of the game. He was behind it, roaring at his team, and that's kind of a trademark of his Um, I think it's been interesting kind of chatting to all of the provinces. They've all, they've they've known what to expect, that there was going to be no crowd there. So they've kind of gone about it, you know, different ways. I know Ulster have trained a lot in the Kingspan, you know, behind closed doors, obviously. Leinster have moved a couple of their sessions to the RDS, you know, to get a feel for what it's like because... Um, it's it's like nothing that they've ever faced before. Even we were chatting to Jacob Stockdale this week, asking him when was the last time he scored a try with no one there to basically applaud it or see it, and he said, "Not even in school have these guys really been used to it." Um, so I think I think they adjusted really well. I, I I do agree with Luke. I was surprised, I have to say, with the standard of rugby that we saw. I thought I agree with him as well that Munster will be disappointed with a couple of aspects, but I thought as a, as a spectacle, uh, the Leinster Munster game was absolutely enthralling, and like it had so many talking points, there were so many really really high quality moments. Um, the same, the, the Connacht Ulster game, to be fair, had a more of a feel of a pre-season game to it, and I think that's understandable. I wouldn't take anything away from how well Connacht played because their skill levels were super, and I think no one ever doubts how good contact are when they have everyone fit and available and I think we saw another example of that but again Luke is right I mean Dan McFarland was absolutely scathing about his team's performance. He was really annoyed with that, and there was no doubt that Ulster had taken their eye off the ball. Um, You know, Ulster Ulster were almost guaranteed to get through to the semi-final anyway. But you kind of wonder if he, if McFarland would have hoped that his old team Glasgow had actually beaten Edinburgh, so that his team had more to play for, because momentum is going to be key going into these knockout games as well. And you know, they're going into the Leinster game now this weekend, which you know we're expecting there to be a lot of changes. But at the same time, Ulster don't want to be going into that semi-final against Edinburgh on the back of two defeats.
0: Yeah, and maybe just to go back to the Leinster-Munster game for a second, obviously, you know, Munster came into the conversion of drawing the game and getting, you know, a draw out of it. Uh, but overall, when I look at it, you know, it's now six defeats from seven for Jommer grand at the helm against Leinster. And even though Munster played really well, you could be positive from that perspective. There just seems to be such a greater margin of error for Leinster in terms of their performance when you have that much talent on the pitch that they can maybe be a little bit off and still win, whereas Munster need to get absolutely everything right. And so far against Leinster, they, they haven't really been, been close to doing that. They have, like I know there was a misconversion at the end, but Leinster were winning that game quite comfortably with you know, 30, 20 minutes yeah. to go and didn't really kick on. And I feel like we've seen this game play out a couple of times now and there's a semi-final in two weeks' time. And if I was going into it from a Munster perspective, I'd be hopeful, but... I, I can't see it being very different to what happened at the weekend.
2: Yeah, I think Lencer still have a have a slight edge. I think, you know, we'd probably know more like you'd know more about Munster if they had Joey Carberry there, I think. Um, even though I actually thought JJ Hanron was quite good on the weekend, I didn't think he was good, but I do think Joey is probably a, a little bit ahead of him at the moment and he'd make a big difference to them. So they're missing him. Uh Snyman, that's a that's a killer blow, you know, that's a real killer blow. Uh, and that probably would have, you know, the wind would have gone from the sails a little bit after that one, I would imagine. Um, but yeah, like I feel like the moments, the big moments are still kind of won by Leinster. Like I thought the the drive over for Leinster was a lot, it was a lot, it was easier got. That King-Healy try was easier got for Leinster than, than Munster kind of had a lot of opportunities kind of knocking on Leinster's line. And eventually they got over and they finished it very well. Um, and I think Leinster would probably be a little bit disappointed with their defense on that one, you know, for for having a guy pretty much in, on his own in 40 yards of space, I'd say he'd be disappointed for them. i talking about the Conway one, but um, Leinster's choice just seemed easier to me, and they kind of came at really key moments. I thought, um, you know, they'd be disappointed there was no one tracking for that. Uh, Ringrose finish. It was a lovely piece of play by Robbie Henshaw, who I just think we kind of maybe underappreciate him a little bit. He's just an absolute quality operator, and I thought Gary Ringrose was, himself and Chris Farrell were probably the two most effective guys in the pitch on the day um, for, over the whole match. I thought they were both outstanding. Um, but great finish by him, and I thought the key moment for me really was the James Lowe one. I just thought the defense was so poor. Um, two guys doing two different things, and I think Munster will look at that and they'll say, Well, look, that could be a bit of rustiness, but I feel like they're the moments that Munster have lost over the last six games against Leinster. It's just these one or two small things, and um. You know, I also feel like maybe uh, they got away with a bit as well at the breakdown, uh, and that's an area where I always felt over the last couple of years that Leinster have had an edge. That they don't cut as many corners as Munster. There, I thought Munster were very lucky on one or two of them um, before their try. There was a there was a, 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 a there was a counter rook that I just thought was shocking refereeing, and I thought. Um, they're just on the edge a little bit more there, and I feel like Leinster always have a slight edge in that area as well as the big moments. So they're the two things I think. If, if Munster can get though, like, get the, their full team on the on the pitch, and if they can win more of those little moments uh, at key points in the game, I think it's a close run thing. I think they're they're catching up. I think Ulster are catching up as well, even though they were poor in the weekend. So um, yeah, it, it's a re- it's going to be really interesting to watch it all play out. I think like you know Leinster the depth chart for them just really makes a massive difference. Like you see, you lose some of the, the, the caliber of, um, you know, James Ryan and Baird comes in and he just looks like very comfortable for someone who hasn't played much top class rugby and playing against a Munster team full of internationals. Uh, to me, um, it's such an advantage for them. It really is like Munster lose three or four guys. And all of a sudden you're kind of saying, well, that, that semi-final all, all of a sudden looks like a big ask for them. So, um, I I, just to maybe in a long-winded way to probably agree with you where it looks like you know when that match does come to pass you know I can't really see it going beyond Lencer at this point as well I just think they have advantages in just in the depth side of things but also in those key moments with some of their big players Um, they seem to have made the, the difference over the last couple of years but gap is closing gap is closing
0: but I guess Keenan, the depth stakes, it's a huge test now that Orgy Sneeman will it'll be out for, I, don't, I know you kind of reported earlier, it's, you know, six, 12 months. You know, either of those outcomes will be, wouldn't be great for them. Uh, and, and Rory, uh, uh, another friend of the show, Rory O'Connor, had a good piece today, kind of looking at the options. And there are a couple of options to step in. None of the caliber of a World Cup winning second row. But, you know, someone like Thomas O'Hearn, who, like, people are hoping could be similar to Ryan Baird, an impact player at second row. He was very good for our under-20s. Uh, in the uh, Six Nations before it was it was called off. Is he a realistic option to step in this weekend and be an impact maker over the next couple of weeks or is it just too soon and they're going to have to go with maybe a more conservative option there?
1: I think this weekend would have been a good time even even to play him on the bench. Um, I was on a call with Stephen Larkham earlier and reading between the lines now, I could be wrong and I hope I'm wrong. I didn't get the impression that Thomas O'Hearn was going to be involved this weekend. Um I think, you know, Lucas, is right, and you're right as well, like losing a, a player of quality, like you, you don't have a ready-made replacement. And to be fair, if Leinster lost him as well, like Norwood, he's, he's a special player. But like Ryan Baird is 21 and Leo Cullen had no problem putting him in against Snyman and then Leinster knew Snyman was going to be playing. So, and I know he's a little bit further along the line than Thomas Ahern, but this is a guy who's chomping at the bit from what I hear to get his go. So... I'd love to see him on the bench this weekend, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't I, I, I wouldn't be holding my breath just from what I heard today. But I mean looking into the new season, he's definitely going to get his chances. Um Larkham name checked at uh, Paddy Kelly, who's another young guy coming through the system as well. But just to go back to Snyman, it was it was absolutely brutal. Um on the when we were chatting on the pod last week, I was saying that Munster like weren't really going to have any excuses when they played Leinster. But to lose him after seven minutes, Kilcoyne went off after yeah. seven minutes with him. James Cronin was supposed to start the game, so you're down to your third choice, loose and Jeremy and who had to play most of the game. Jean Klein is now out again with another neck injury, um, which doesn't sound good either. So you're down two big second rows from there. So look, and, and then let's not forget as well that the Academy player tested positive for COVID and that, that massively disrupted their things. I think there was a lot of positives for Munster. I, I do totally get what you're saying, and it was a bit of deja vu against Leinster, but. I saw some good things. I thought, I thought there was a lot better shape to their attack. I agree with Luke. I thought JJ slotted in really well there. Like I mean, he's been playing all, all season. Really, we have to remember because Joey Carberry's obviously been out. But I thought there was a lot, a lot to like about it in particular. I thought like the way they went about scoring Andrew Conway's um, second try was was really pleasing. Mm. I know um, Devon Toner, like going to the bin, had kind of um, an impact on, on that as well. But like Larkin talking about it as well today. I think they are going in the right direction. even Diallende, I thought, slotted in really well. Chris Farrell was excellent. And I think having someone like Diallende inside of Chris Farrell really allows Farrell to showcase more of what he's about. I think there is still probably a criticism about Munster that, that they still kind of tend to pick and go, pick and go when they're in that 22. And they did it again a few times now. They did try and vary it up. But I think, Luke, you mentioned um Gary Ringrose's tribe. That to me is a, a very good example of the difference in maybe that of Lenster and Munster's attack. Like that that if that was a Munster player, you might be expecting him to truck it up through the middle, except Henshaw puts in a beautiful kick, um, which was sensational. Like it was just so, so well worked. I believe like from a Leinster point of view that's something they've really targeted over the over the lockdown is their kicking game. We've seen it in England, I mean look at the amount of kicking options they have at Ellie Daly, Owen Farrell, George Ford. We've seen it with New Zealand as well and you know when they did that call with the Crusaders um with the coaches, you know, sharing information and stuff, I believe that that was a big sort of focus for them, their kicking game and to see it so early was really pleasing and they're the kind of things that I think Munster are going to be looking to add to their game. It's kind of new, nuances around when they get into the 22 that they're not as predictable. And to be fair, I don't think they were as predictable. It was just at times we saw them revert to type a bit.
2: The thing is as well, like I think they'll have to just to, to tie in on that one there. and It's a, it's a good point you make because I feel like there's a, to get, there's a huge amount of effort that goes in for Munster to have to score a try. Um, and I think the only good thing that might come from this is that with Snyman and D'Alande both being added you kind of were saying to yourself mm, right well that's more the same and you're kind of saying uh, my criticism of Munster maybe over the last couple of years is that they haven't been that creative around that forward pod, which um, you know sometimes you can't be but sometimes you probably should be and I think they probably didn't weren't going to have to be as creative having added those two like the two, they're seriously physical guys you know and there's a chance that with Munster's game plan those two guys they might have been able to physically dominate even some of the top teams in. Um, I'm more thinking about the European competition, but also in Pro 14 against really top teams like Leinster. I feel like they might have been able to dominate them. I think they won't be able to now. They're probably going to have to really develop and, and, and be able to get around teams with a bit of creativity rather than just busting through them with phase after phase after phase. I thought that worked okay in the weekend, but I think Leinster will look at that and say, particularly for the Andrew Conway try, um, you know their numbers, they just didn't get any numbers around the corner. Uh, and they got kind of beaten up in the tight exchanges, I think with a bit more fitness, I think their defense will be a bit better. And I don't think you'll be able to do that to Leinster um, as one of the top teams. And I think once they want to get back to be one of the top teams, that's why I always keep mentioning it, is that I think something like that's going to be the area where I feel like it'll be the, 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 the making or the breaking of this team is whether they can get that little, little bit of nuance into the game to break the really good teams down, because that's what you need to do. And maybe it's taking a chance. Like I think that's quite a big chance that Robbie Henshaw took but he backed himself and he obviously is the backing of the coaches to go and do that and, and and try a risky skill in a position where it's probably not a percentage play. Um and Munster, the way Munster play, you're probably saying it is probably the percentage play, but it just takes a huge amount of effort out of the team to to score tries. So um interesting to see if that's something that maybe develops off the back of maybe missing someone like Snyman and maybe Klein, who they might be rely on to bully teams.
0: Mm. Yeah, Keem, one other part of the game that was interesting the weekend, obviously Connor Murray went into the game under a bit of pressure from last season. I uh, wanted to make of his performance and also Craig Casey off the bench because Craig Casey came on and did inject pace and speed, especially at the breakdown. The ball, The I thought was, was it was a good bit quicker coming out of the, the ruck.
1: Yeah, th- there's no doubt it was. I think there's certain things you have to consider that it's, you know, it's a tiring defence, you know, things like that. I actually thought Conor Murray played quite well. Um, I think he's become it's become easy to sort of criticise Conor Murray, but I thought I thought he played uh, quite well. Still a bit to go to get back to the heights we know he can. Um I thought Keith Wood. I thought summed it up quite well on off the ball the other day. He said that um, you know when Casey comes on, his job is just to get to the the breakdown and sling passes. Like you know, whereas Conor Murray is almost trying to dictate from scrum half and assess like all what's around him. So they've got very different roles. I'm a big fan of Craig Casey. He's got a huge future ahead of him. Like I mentioned, he was one of the most vocal players over the whole weekend. But I thought Conor Connor Murray played well. I think himself and JJ are forming a nice uh, halfback partnership there. So I think, you know, there's plenty of life left in him yet. Um, but crazy. Casey is definitely the future, but you'll have to buy this time yet.
2: Do you think though, Keen? just on that, I-, I, watched, I was so impressed with Casey and I know the situation was different and, I, you know, that's a good point by, by Woody, but I still feel like the, how he answered the question about the difference between the roles is kind of half of the problem for me. Um, and I actually thought, by the way, I, I did think Conor Murray played very well. Just, but I, I still feel like there's a difference between his delivery, the pace of his delivery, and um, say the likes of a Casey who looked really looked really zippy when he came on, and you could see the extra time that JJ had on the ball. It made a big difference to the team. Um, part of that answer that Woody gave around, uh, you know, having to think more about it is part of the problem for me. Like, I think there's probably less thinking required than he's doing, even though he's a guy you're saying, well, look, I'm comfortable with that guy thinking because he's a smart player, he's experienced, he generally makes the right calls. But sometimes it's just about getting it away. Like, so, it's just a bum. Like, let the other 14 guys in the pitch get into It's on them to be in good positions. And they're they're able to make good decisions too, if they have time. Whereas if they don't have time, it's harder for them to do that. And I think maybe that's part of the thing that when I'm watching Connor, I think maybe he's just overdoing it a little bit. He's had a huge mental responsibility in lots of the teams he's played, and for good reason. Like he's one of our best players and has been for a very long time. But um, part of that is even with greatness, sometimes you have to offload it onto other people. You're playing with other great players too, so that's something maybe I think maybe worth considering. I don't disagree with your point, and I feel like yes, the game was over. Munster were trying to score a try. Casey was always just going to be getting it out of there. But um, interesting to see if Connor because Connor will come under a bit of pressure now. I think over the next while, I thought Luke McGrath was good in the
1: weekend too. I think it's it's one worth uh, watching as well because I mean a lot of Larkham's game plan is based around speed. So I mean if he's seen Casey come on and do that, he's going to want the same from Connor. So it's a good point you make, Luke. I mean he's not, he's going to be demanding the same from Connor Murray, even if he is the world class player. Yeah, you just hope he gets a chance maybe to start this weekend in,
0: in a changed team because against Connor to see what he can do from the start if he's asked to implement you know more of the the regular game plan for nine or if he's given the freedom to to kind of you know whip out passes like he did at the weekend and another. Uh, position that was you know, kind of interesting at the weekend Luke was full back Jordan Lamour playing for Leinster. Jacob Stockdale playing for Ulster and obviously with, with Rob Kearney likely uh, finished with, with Ireland there's, a, there's, there's an opening there you know the two guys were very inexperienced at full back you know in, in the professional game in the big games and they, they kind of had a, had a mixed outings of the weekend in terms of their full back play their, the traditional elements of it Rob Carney would be very very strong in you know mm-hmm. what, what did you make of their performance and also that you know that battle for the 15 jersey in general, because his international games are not, not too far away, and it'll be interesting to see who gets that jersey.
2: Yeah, and look, Rob looks in great shape. I wonder, is he thinking, maybe, did he call it too early? COVID could have come at a perfect time for someone like him. Um, and it's funny, isn't it? We always go back to him, and like, what a servant he's been. Like What an incredible career. Um, and maybe he'll be one of those people we probably don't appreciate until he's gone, uh, You know, just how good he was at some of the basics of the game. So, yeah, look, there's big shoes to fill for those guys. I mean, I like Jacob Stockdale there. I think he still has struggled a little bit defensively for me. He's a bit at sea sometimes on the wing, um, and it's a more difficult place to defend in the front because you're in the front line more often now. Teams are just hedging their bets and leaving the wingers up all the time, and he still makes poor decisions there. To my mind, it's the weakest part of his game. back could be something per- – I just think it might be a role made for him. He's a big man. If, he's, if he really works on that part of his game and focuses on the game in the air, He could be a real asset. And he's got a nice. There's one
0: part of it, though, that I think he might struggle with, and that's simply just distributing the ball. When I see him on the wing getting the ball, he never wants to give it. There's been plenty of times.
2: You're right. I know you've picked that up a few times, Will, and I agree with you. I think. That's something that really good, really great players always like. They, they make the right decision, whether that's passing or not. They they put it, they back themselves and their skills to put to put it in the person. Like I think you have to have an appreciation for the quality that you have around you at this level of the game. You have to utilize people when they're in the right positions, uh, at the right time. And that's that's an area of growth in his game as well. And um, but what I would say he is a phenomenal attacker and he's a physical specimen. Like having someone like him but fullback would be, great. and it, it, it takes the decision-making part of the defensive side of the game out of it for him. He doesn't have to, like at fullback, you're just pretty much taken. If, if there's two guys on, on you, like like running through, you're taking the guy who's passed it 99% of the time. That's it. If it's the last guy in the line, you just have one guy to tackle. He doesn't have that decision-making component of it. He just has to cover the ground kicking-wise. And can he do that? Um, and if he can improve the other parts of his game, like he's got a, he's got a really big boot of a ball as well. Um, he just, I, I feel his big advantage in that is his size he's a huge man um, so look that's a space to watch whether Ireland will take a chance uh, putting him there you know I think maybe Will Addison gone maybe Ulster looking at that saying uh, you know maybe we'll, we'll, we'll keep trying him out there um, and see how it goes um, and obviously they're going to be short one in the front line with Balakun gone as well so um, yeah that could be an area where Ulster might continue to use him over the next couple of weeks and they have that big match against Toulouse as well so um i'll be watching that closely to see if dan sticks with him there i think he, he could have a big future there uh, i'm basing that basically on that one part of his game kind of the defensive part but as will says the you know can he distribute it can he get to the great players uh you know to his wingers outside him like Keith Thurls or Conway or um james you know, Lowe. yeah or a james Lowe, you know whoever it is can he get the ball to those people so we'll, we'll watch that space closely uh, he, he certainly has all the talent and the ability to do the things it's whether he can get the you know, the, the top two inches right, I suppose. Yeah, Keen, you are writing about it extensively uh, in today's paper as well, so I'm sure
0: you have a, a good bit to say on it.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think the position is up for grabs. Um, I think it looks like, you know, it was Jordan Armour's, and it, it, to be fair, it still probably is his jersey, but I think I still think he struggles massively under the high ball. He looks to me like a guy who, like, he, he, I, I guess we've been so used to seeing Rob Carney and just, like, you know, collecting everything that drops underneath him but or above him. But I don't get the impression that Larmer is as comfortable. we've seen it a couple of times on the international stage and I think that's a serious concern. We've already spoken about how how international teams are looking to utilize their kicking game more. And you know, Saracens will have been watching that I think and they'll have seen that, that that's an area that they could potentially exploit Leinster. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Kearney come back in at full back and have alarm uh, on the wing in light of uh, Dave Carney's injury in terms of what Stockdale can bring like he played uh, fullback for the Irish under 20s team that got to that uh, World Cup final in 2016 and he was on the team that beat the, the, Obla, or the New Zealand under 20s and I know it's a very different prospect but yeah I think my point in today's paper was he started three games for Ulster at fullback this season which is more than he started at all throughout his career um, which is interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if Andy Farrell is kind of having a say in this as well because there's plenty of games coming up over the autumn and I don't think Larmer is nailed on for the 15 jersey so I wouldn't be surprised if he wants to see him have a look as well. We, uh, Luke mentioned Will Addison. For me and I know you just can't really rely on him anymore because that back injury looks so complicated, unfortunately, that he has. But that, to me, there, he's a guy who I think if he could stay fit, could really stake a claim. Every time I see him, I'm really impressed him. He brings super calm to, to everything he, he he's a brilliant distrib- distributor exactly like we're saying he gets he's happy for everyone else to to get involved around him and I think crucially he makes other people look good so I think he's he's a loss but I think we're going to see Stockdale at 15 a bit because he's out injured so it's it's massively up for grabs I think but Jordan Armour is still probably just in front but he's got to sort out I think his high ball.
0: Yeah, well, that's the beauty of the next couple of weeks, isn't it? Like, we have so many, you know, after one weekend of interpros, we're already talking about so many individual battles, and we have next weekend and probably a couple of knockout games as well to look forward to for Andy Fraud to base some decisions on. Uh, and just two things before we wrap up, guys. Uh, one is South African involvement in the Pro 14, Luke. Obviously, the Kings have, have withdrawn now because of financial uh, implications, and obviously because there's a travel element to it as well. That's why the Cheetahs won't be able to compete for 2021. It's very much up in the air. Will it be a Pro-13? Will it go back to a Pro-12? You know, what what do you make of that? I, you know, the, it could be the end, maybe, potentially, of, the, of their involvement in the league.
2: Well, I suppose it depends on whether they go, like, on whether the, their big teams really commit to it. I know in the short term that, um, you know, that that's that's obviously what's happening. Um, but it's, I suppose, to me, I'm taking more of a longer-term view on it. And I wonder, um, you know, will the bigger teams that are in Super Rugby commit to coming up to the Northern Hemisphere. And that's going to be the big question from, you know, it's an unbelievable place to go and play a rugby. It'd be a brilliant experience for all the guys in the Northern Hemisphere. It's just whether it makes sense to them. I think having talked to a few guys who played super rugby, um, I remember talking, talking speaking, to, speaking to Bismarck Duplessis about it a couple of years ago. And he's Quality playing. name drop. Yeah, but sorry, <laughs> it is, but it's just, I suppose it, it just to give a bit of context on it. I think it's, we were talking to him when he came up with Montpellier
1: um,
2: and I remember talk, he was saying, he was telling me about the time difference and the actual travel around Super Rugby and Tri-Nations or Champions Cup, or, sorry, not Champions Cup, but Tri-Nations or Super Rugby. And he was talking about the difficulty that South African players have throughout the competition in terms of travel. And I just, it sounded like incredibly difficult um, because they're obviously caught right in the middle. Um, and the they, travel, like like he was saying it was one of the biggest reasons why he came up to the Northern Hemisphere bar, the financial element was actually the travel. He just found it like really, really difficult. The longer he went on fine for guys who didn't have families and that, but he also found it took a big toll on his body doing like playing the games after all the travel. Um, so, you know, that's an area where you say, well, they don't have to travel across all the time zones if they're playing. Yes, it is still a big travel for them to come up here um, and, and play a couple of games. And there is a financial aspect to it. But to me, like all the money is up in Northern Hemisphere anyway. Uh, I, I think that's the thing for me is I'm, I'm watching to see whether they end up trying to integrate into any of the other competitions up here because I feel like they have a huge amount to add. And South African rugby, there should be huge crowds at the game. Like when we can get crowds back at the game, that's the obvious, obvious caveat here. But when we can get crowds back in the games, um, you know, there's not enough people attending the games. Um, and I don't know why that is, but there should be like, if they can keep, if they can, bring money back into South African rugby. I see no reason why they wouldn't have to, they, like they wouldn't be able to compete and keep their players, bring the crowds back in and really add something to the competitions up here. So short term, yeah, it's obviously disappointing to see them go, but long term, I feel like they want to be playing in the competition up here. I feel like it makes sense to them financially and from a time zone difference aspect. That's apparently an absolute killer uh, if you talk to any of the South African guys. um, So I, I think they want to play here. It's just whether we can accommodate them will. I think they'll be back with the bigger teams.
0: Yeah, Keen. It looks like it, it could potentially be a natural way of, you know, the cheetahs and the kings leaving the league, and then maybe after this season is finished, possibly given the, the, the flux in Super Rugby for the other four teams—the Sharks, the Stormers, the Bulls, and the Lions—to to make
1: the move up. Yeah, I think I'm um, privately that's probably what you know everyone, the, the organisers are hoping to see. Um, like South African rugby is in such a strange place. The pandemic aside, I mean. You think that this is a huge opportunity for them, like you know, in in light of winning the World Cup. But Luke is right; it just looks so awful every time you see them playing in the Pro 14. There's absolutely no one at the games. I think as a spectacle, like the Cheetahs have been okay. They've blown hot and cold, and when they play at home, they're tough to beat because they're they're playing at altitude, you know, which is which is obviously very different. By and large, in general, I don't think you can say they've added much to the, the competition at all. I mean, it's sad to see the Kings, if they're going to the wall, which it looks like they have. It's sad to see a rugby that happening to a rugby club, but they were awful. Let's call a spade a spade. like They were really, really poor. Like Irish provinces were looking at it as a banker, five points, and... That's why the Pro 14 doesn't get the respect and out of you know from people outside of the the, the countries involved. Um, like I think in AI, a lot of good AIL teams would would beat the Kings, but that's enough Kings bashing for now. But it's just if the Pro 12 are, is going to go to a Pro 16, which during lockdown I'd heard lots of whispers that like it was going to happen. It's kind of gone cold in the last few weeks, but there's no doubt that. If they could get the four teams that you mentioned involved, that would change the whole complexion of the league because, and it would it also might help um, South Africa keep their players, you know, within their system because that's something that Razi Erasmus has been big on. Like I mean, you talk about Snyman now and Dialende, like they're only what 28, 29 and a twenty five year old coming, like you know, in the prime of their careers. They want those guys playing with their franchises, and maybe that will be the way to do it with Super Rugby, is because the Super Rugby is all up in the air as well. Yeah. Orgy Snyman only being 25 is also crazy, by the
0: way. The man looks about 40. Um, the last thing uh, I want to ask you guys, and it, it kind of is something we have touched on in the show before, especially with CBC coming into the various leagues and maybe the Six Nations and it being maybe more joined up commercially, is I was watching uh, Exeter Bristol last night. You know, midweek rugby is such a novelty, but very enjoyable game. You know, what do you guys think about that becoming something more prominent as, as, as we go on in the game? Obviously, I mean, we asked Luke for the players' perspective and maybe keen from the media's perspective. Obviously, it needs to be managed in terms of, like, what the Premiership are doing at the moment with, like, a game uh, and then one in midweek and another game in the weekend. I know they have regulations, but it's still an awful lot of minutes they can actually play even within those regulations. Like, Luke, do you think midweek games is something the players will be on board with, provided there was adequate time, you know, before or afterwards, where they wouldn't be, you know, into a really compressed schedule? Is it something they would be on board with, do you think?
2: Don't, I don't think so, Will. I think the game has gotten too physical now, and I think, particularly, uh, it's probably a bad time to be asking the question. with everyone strains, you know, so much financially as well, um, because I think it, it's it's going to it's a big ass to turn around unless you've got a massive squad. You know, like comparing it to soccer, it's just to me it's just too hard to do because I think the physical compo- you just can't. I mean, while they're covering a huge amount of ground, they weigh about probably four or five stone lighter on average. But I would say that's fair enough to say on average per person. The ground, covering that amount of ground doesn't take as much out of their body. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see it being possible unless there's a huge amount more money and more players. And I don't see that any of those things changing in the short term. Um, but, you know, I can see, like, it, it is good to, to, to maybe toy with the ideas. I think, you know, chasing the audience is fine uh, and they should be doing that. And if it is better to play the midweek from a financial standpoint and from a spectator perspective, that would make sense to me. That's fine. But you still have to have the same amount of time between games. I just don't see those. That, 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 that restriction around, the, and the context is only getting bigger, I think. I just can't see that really being viable um, unless you're going midweek game every week. You couldn't do midweek on a Saturday or Sunday. It's just not. Yeah. So Keen.
0: I'll give you two scenarios where midweek rugby could potentially, I think, have a home and that is so. Say, for instance, the international window this November, or the Six Nations window. But this November might be a better example because it's over a longer period. I think the Pro14 is coming back at the time. You know, the Pro14 on, on those weekends will be swallowed up by the international game. You know, a midweek schedule maybe at the start of the season. You know, when there's international games going on at the same time, is that something that that, that could be viable? I think it could be. Certainly, uh, from a fan's perspective, would be very engaging. And then also, you know, for for international, this international tournament, say. Could you do a midweek game on a Saturday? You have enough squad, like an Ireland squad. They, they pick 40-odd players for some of these squads. There's enough there to potentially do it that way either. There are just two examples I'm thinking of at the top of my head. I agree with Luke, but no one wants to see it go Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. I'm just looking at creative ways potentially of getting standalone Wednesday fixtures where you're not following it immediately by a Saturday fixture.
1: Yeah, your, your first scenario, I, I think it's a great idea playing, having a Pro 14 game, you know, midweek, again, assuming you're not having one at the weekend during those international windows because it would get a bigger audience. You'd hope, I guess, in terms of for both of your scenarios, again, let, let's say that things go back to normal and, you know, people are allowed to go to games, even, even limited crowds. Like, a lot is going to depend on the day of the week, that is, because it's going to be tougher for people to get to it with work commitments, whatever, like that. And ultimately, it comes down to money, really, doesn't it? Because yeah. they, especially if you're talking about CVC, they want a, they want bang for their book. They want more people, more eyes on it, um, at, at more as possible. So it sounds good in theory, but... I think their argument would be that if if the game is at a weekend, would they not get more people through the door? And I understand what you're saying. If there's an international game, that's going to take from it. But are people going to go to a game on Wednesday and then shell out and go again on a Saturday? um to an international i don't know um but from a media point of view it'd be great to to see games midweek because i only caught highlights of that game last night but like you said it it was like it it was there was a novelty factor too it wasn't it It almost felt like a world cup because i know world cup games are midweek but um yeah like it's all up in the air with cvc but they're coming in to make money is what we need to remember you know and that's ultimately what it will boil down to
0: yeah, I think this is something worth considering. As you said, there was that novelty factor, and you know, there's games played on a Friday night. Like, you know, fans have to get to those. Like, is that that much more inconvenient? You know, people work on Fridays too.
1: Like, is it is it is it drastically more inconvenient to go? Friday is, is a weekend though, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's like, people can base their week around, you know, after work on a Friday, have a few points, whatever. If it's a Wednesday or a Tuesday, only the hardcores will be drinking on a school night. Will. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it's just, especially I guess, when you take the
0: TV element into it. Like, what's more important for for CBC to new paymasters? Like, is it to drive yeah. television eyeballs? Which, because let's face, you know, as I mentioned, like on, a, on an international weekend where the Pro Fourteen is up against it, like it gets very little coverage. You know, whereas that person,
2: to me will is the kind of key point in what you're in what you're saying, and it's the television revenue. I think you'd get more eyeballs on a on a on a on a Pro Fourteen game. Midweek, you definitely would do that. But do you get anyone at the game? That's the that's the real question. And like, look, they have priced those things pretty well. They're pretty aggressive with it, you know. They they change it, um, you know, to you know when there, when there are those those games on, they generally do price them a bit more competitively uh, competitively because they know they're up against it for a portion of the crowd to be coming every week. Would probably go to the Ireland game instead if they can. Um, but they still capture, I mean, I know Leinster capture a good few. I mean, they still capture around the 10,000 mark, don't they, for those games? They're pretty consistent with that. Um, but the Yeah, like, I think the Irish challenges. provinces... I suppose one thing that I would say is they've probably timed those things pretty well so that people who are on the fringes of the, of the international squads can go back and play. And, it, and it's, it, it's an easier sync up to get them a bit of rugby uh, during that period if the games are on at similar times. Because um, they can come back into camp at a similar time to when the other guys have played. You know, if the other guys have played, they get the same amount of recovery. They don't have to leave the squad in the middle of the week when you're possibly still deciding the team. For example, if you went to choose their Wednesday night, some of those guys who are on the fringe, they may or may not be like like if you're saying, ah, oh, you know what, I have to pick my team earlier now because you know I want to give one of these guys an opportunity to go back. I can't keep denying them rugby because they're on the you know the twenty fourth, twenty fifth man. So there's a few of those dimensions that are probably hard to. I, I get the point. I don't mind the idea, but there are a few things that you have to consider around the outside of it, um, and then you have to figure out. Well, as to to key point, the most important part is the financial part, and you know how much of the revenue in the clubs, you know, is driven by uh, the, the TV money. Um, I would say that in most of the clubs a lot of the like I think for the Irish team it switches over to t- television money but for the clubs I think the gate is really important and I think you'd probably see a bit of a drop in that if it was midweek
0: Yeah no it's definitely an interesting debate and it will be interesting to see if what goes on during the pandemic and what the, the figures are like viewing figures are like in the premiership and, and stuff like that to see as we go ahead and, and schedules and competitions are all in flux and could change is there room for this you know if they adopt that kind of November international tournament like where rugby proposed you know, there was a lot of uh, you know people talking about how many weeks it would take up in the season with the bigger squads. Could you play more games? Like, adopt the World Cup schedule where you know you you might even have five or six days between games, depending on it, it might be Wednesday Saturday, it could be Tuesday Sunday, you know, back, stuff like that. There might be uh, some creativeness schedule. the um, schedule, but we could talk about that all day anyway. We gonna... will this a job in World Rugby. <laughs> yeah, myself and Joe Schmidt you both seconded the World Rugby for new you know high power post, you know reinventing the game. <laughs> Um, well guys thanks so much for joining me another uh, great week of, uh, to look forward to this weekend now Leinster versus Ulster and Munster versus Connacht, and we'll catch up on all that next week Luke Keane thanks so much thanks Will that's all we have time from the left wing this week in association with independent.ie thank you so much for joining me I'll be back next week with another podcast reviewing all the action in the meantime you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud or listen to independent.ie so until next week thanks for listening
1: and goodbye